Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. Uh, and if you're a first time guest, I especially want to welcome you. Thank you for checking us out and hanging out with us. I hope this time is beneficial to you. I'm going to go ahead and begin with our, our message. And, and I just want to start by, by asking, if you were to decide what the most important issue facing our nation is, what would it be? Like, if you think about it right now, you know, we're in the middle of this crazy presidential election cycle, and there's so much going on. And so the candidates are, are, are debating and talking about the, the most important issues facing our nation. And if you were to decide what that is, what would it be? Like, if you were to, to decide, I mean, certainly the economy might be part of it, or, or maybe for you, it's ending the COVID crisis, or maybe it's the racial tensions in our nation. Uh, maybe it's healthcare. That one seems to be pretty popular all the time. Uh, or, or maybe it's abortion, or uh, you know, maybe it's immigration. There's tons of issues, climate change. There's all these issues. If you were to choose just one, what would you say the most important issue is? And I'm sure that you have something in mind. There's something that you're thinking about. But what if I were to tell you that I think that the, the probably the most important issue in our nation, certainly one of the most important issues in our nation, is an issue that nobody's talking about. Like there's nobody actually talking about it. No candidate has a plan. No candidate's addressing it. It's not a, a, a debate question. That what I think is one of the most important issues in our nation is largely going ignored. Now, what issue am I talking about? I'm talking about the issue of trust. That what I think is one of the most, if not the most important issue in our nation is trust. You know, there was a Pew Research study done and released last year that said 71% of Americans believe that trust between Americans has gone down over the last 20 years. The same study released uh, a statistic that said two-thirds, two-thirds of Americans don't trust the federal government at all. Two-thirds. Now, maybe some of you think that's ridiculously low. Two-thirds of Americans don't trust the federal government at all. I mean, I want you to capture what's going on here. That Americans right now, they don't trust each other, and they don't trust the government. That, that's, that's the truth of our nation right now. And I just think, well, well, who do you trust? Like, if you can't trust other Americans and you can't trust the government, who do you trust? I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about how despairing that would be to be in a place where you don't trust anybody. And certainly we've earned it, right? There's been so much stuff, you know, uh, this, this concept of fake news is something that in the past handful of years has, has become very, very popular about to talk about. The idea that we can't trust even the media. Who do you trust? You know, if you could find someone who had a plan to solve the trust issue in America, would that person have your vote? If someone could solve the trust issue in our nation, would that person be worthy of your devotion? Like, would you buy the bumper sticker, wear the hat, and get the t-shirt? Like, would that per person and their plan be worthy of your devotion? You know, 
We began this series called Off Limits a couple of weeks ago. It's a series that we're doing with a couple of other churches around town, and we love doing stuff with other churches. Um, but the series is, is taking a look at this idea of things that we struggle to surrender to God. These areas of our lives that, man, we just have a really hard time laying them down and letting Jesus have them. And so a couple of weeks ago, week one, I talked about this idea of sanctification, that the sanctification is this process by which your character begins to match God's character, that after you give your life to Jesus, the rest of your life is lived growing into the likeness of Christ. And what I said in week one was that this is God's job. It's not your job or my job. It's God's job to change you. He moves in. He changes everything on the inside, and progressively you look more and more like Jesus. But you have a role to play. The role that you play in this process is to hand things over when God asks for them. That as he puts his finger on places in your life that don't look like Jesus, you say, yeah, you can have that. And whatever he says, you give him. Whatever he asks for, you do. That this is the way you grow in Christ-likeness. That this idea of sanctification is, is a cooperative effort. God does the stuff, you just give him the materials to work with. And so week two, we talked about laying down anger. That's what we talked about last week, that we need to eliminate anger. This week, we're going to look at Jesus' solution to the problem of trust. That we in America don't trust each other. And Jesus says the way to trust is to live a life of complete integrity. I'm calling today's message, Surrender Dishonesty. Would you pray with me before we get into God's word? So Lord, we do welcome you into this time and into this space. And God, we all come with our barriers to trust. That we all come with things on our hearts that keep us from trusting you, that keep us from trusting others. And so God, as I speak this, this time, this, this morning, Lord, would you break down those barriers? God, would you break through into people's hearts? God, that you would teach people trust, that you would teach people integrity. God, would you do that in my own heart? That you would teach me integrity and teach me trust. God, I pray this morning that you would enable me to speak as I should. Put your words in my mouth, God. And I pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can turn uh, with me to Matthew chapter 5, and, and we're going to look at another passage from the Sermon on the Mount, like we did last week. And like I said last week, the Sermon on the Mount builds out of this verse, uh, verse 20 in chapter 5, where Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That the whole rest of the passage, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, builds from that. That basically Jesus is saying, it's not that righteousness matters less, actually righteousness matters more. So the Pharisees, they keep the law outwardly perfectly, but the problem that Jesus always had with the Pharisees was that their hearts were unchanged, that they could keep the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law was forgotten or maybe never known. 
And what Jesus is saying is that true righteousness is when the inside looks like the outside. That true righteousness is a righteousness of integrity. He wants you to do the right things for the right reasons. So we're going to look at, uh, at chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And often in this church, I, I read from the, uh, the NIV. I like that translation. It's very readable. It's very understandable. But this week, as I was looking at this passage of Scripture, the, N, uh, the NRSV actually puts it just a little bit clearer. It's easier to understand what Jesus is talking about. So I'm going to read from the NRSV this week. Beginning at verse 33, and here's what we read. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Jesus here is talking about integrity. And as, as in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by saying, this is what the Pharisees have taught. This is the law of the Pharisees. But I'm going to correct it. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And for clarity here, before we dive too far in, you see this word swear. Jesus says, do not swear at all. Now, Jesus is not giving us his exposition on cussing or using swear words. That's not what's happening here. What Jesus is addressing here is swearing an oath or, or binding an agreement by appealing to God as a witness. This is what he's talking about. The prevailing understanding was that if you wanted to lend credibility to an agreement you were making, you swear before God. You call God as your witness, and God witnesses to the truth and the honesty of the agreement. And you were locked in. To make an agreement before God meant you were locked in, that you had to keep your word. That's the whole idea. It makes it binding. And so if you make an oath before God and you don't carry through, you dishonor God. Well, of course, the Pharisees don't want to dishonor God, but as many of us do, we want to have the option to back out. We want to be able to not be completely honest. We want people to trust us generally, but we want to have the option to not live up to our word. So they would swear by something like God or swear by something that looked powerful but was not God, so that they could keep a clean conscience before God because they hadn't sworn an oath to God, but they could deal falsely with other people. So they would swear by Jerusalem, or swear by heaven, or swear by the earth, or I'll swear on my life. And this way, they could uh, fulfill promises made to God while backing out of promises made to people. And Jesus hits back and he says, there's nothing in the world that doesn't belong to God. Heaven belongs to God. Earth belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. Jerusalem belongs to God. There's nothing that doesn't belong to God. So you are obligated to everything you swear by. We all know this one though, don't we? Aren't you familiar with this, 
this line of thinking, we all want to have the power of integrity in our words, don't we? Like when I say something, I want you to believe it. But we're also a little bit rough on having an integrity of heart. We want people to trust our words without having to stand behind them too closely. I mean, maybe you've heard phrases like, I swear on my life. Maybe you've said that. Or here's the the one that kids say, right? I swear on my mother's grave. Or you hear people say all the time, I swear to God. And they're just trying to say, so you can trust what I'm saying. But even if we're not saying explicitly, I swear, we probably are saying things like this. Believe me, right? I did that. Believe me. Or we say things like, to be perfectly honest, or, or, or maybe you've, you've said, you can trust me, I guarantee it. And of course, all of these statements are intended to lend credibility, but if you think about them, what you're saying is, there are times you shouldn't believe me. There are times I can't be trusted. There are times I'm not completely honest. And there are times when I can't be counted on. All of these statements implicate us a little bit, don't they? There was a Jewish sect around the time of Jesus called the Essenes, and they lived by this core principle, and it went like this. It said, anyone who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. What the Essenes believed is if you had to add anything to your word, you're a liar. So you can't, if you couldn't just say, this is what happened, You had to say, trust me, this is what happened. Or, I swear on anything that this is what happened. The Essenes would say, you're a liar, and we can't trust you. You know, we live our lives sometimes worried that maybe people won't uh, react the way we want them to, right? You know, like, "I I had this thing happen, and it was exciting to me, but I'm afraid you won't think it's exciting, so I'm going to pump it up a little bit. I'm going to exaggerate reality. I'm going to add misleading adjectives in order to coerce people into seeing things the way I want them to, to, to see them. And in one commentary, I read this. It said, oaths arise because men are so often liars. The same is true of all forms of exaggeration, hyperbole, and the use of superlatives. We're not content to say that we had an enjoyable time. We have to describe it as fantastic or fabulous or even fantabulous or some other invention. But the more we resort to such expressions, the more we devalue human language and human promises. At the core of what Jesus is addressing in this passage is this innate desire that all of us have to be seen as better than we are. We all have this fear that we won't quite measure up and people won't quite think we're as great as we want them to think. And so we withhold the truth or we twist the truth and we manipulate facts in order to get people to respond to us in a certain way that they wouldn't if we were completely honest. Now, right at this point, it would be real easy to point fingers, wouldn't it? Like right now, you're sitting there, you're maybe a little uncomfortable I'm a little uncomfortable. And we're kind of going, well, you know, I need to alleviate the pressure. You know what? That's that politician. He always does that. That's who who Derek's talking about. He's talking about that politician that that, that he's such a liar and he always twists facts. He's just 
he's just a liar. Or, or maybe you, you go, well, that's my coworker. He's always doing that. I, he, he's just never honest. He always adds, I promise you can believe me. Or, or maybe for some of you, you're going, that's my parents my whole childhood. Never honest, never lived up to their word. Or, or, or maybe that's my ex, right? This is our whole relationship. This is how it went. They, you know, that's who this is all about. It's one of those people, you know, they really should hear this message. It's so good. I'm actually going to get on Facebook and share it with them so they can hear how much of a liar they are and how much God doesn't like that. But here's the problem. Here's the really, 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 I just did it right there. Scary problem. Jesus is pointing at us. It's not everybody out there. It's in here. This is not a they problem. It's a me problem. I do this. I live in such a way that I want people to believe me without actually having to be completely honest. We all do that. You know, at some point we all exaggerate the truth or we sort of make up facts or we sort of, you know, leave out the things that are embarrassing. We don't tell people what's completely true because if they actually knew, they'd make a different decision. Every last one of us has twisted facts or we've exaggerated things or we've misled people or we've left things out. And in every instance that we do this, we dehumanize people by stealing from them the right that they have to make an informed choice. That's what we do. And in the face of all of this, Jesus says, Live with complete integrity. That that's the invitation of Jesus to us. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, Jesus says, Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. He says, if you say yes, just say yes. If you say no, just say no. Jesus says, your life should be marked so much with integrity that you never have to swear on anything. That you never have to give your word. You never have to exaggerate. You never have to manipulate. You never have to leave any facts out. That if you say yes, what you mean is yes. If you say no, what you mean is no. If you say you did it, you did it. It's not like a lot of us do, right? Our project at uh, at school or our project at work where, man, we totally, it slipped our mind or we, you know, we chose instead to binge Netflix or Hulu. We, we just did something else. And when we show up and someone expected the project of us, instead of saying, I didn't make it a priority, we say, oh, you know, I was working on that and I came up with this problem that, that I have to solve. So I'll get it to you next week. Jesus is saying, we should live the kind of lives that say people can count on us when we give our word. That's how we are to live. We hear this and something inside of us settles, doesn't it? Don't we come to peace when we hear about this idea that, that our lives will be marked by integrity? Like inside of you, when you think about that, everybody in the world would just say what is true. That you would be free to not have to have your guard up and wonder if someone's lying but that you could count on people being honest. Doesn't something inside of you settle? Like the words of Jesus, they just resonate so deeply and it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like 
nobody would have to lock their doors. We wouldn't need a safe. You know, we wouldn't, we could just trust people. But the real question is, why don't we do this? What is it that keeps us from doing that? Why is it that we make up stories about why things didn't work out at work? Why is it that we can't be honest when we lost our job about what happened? Why is it that we constantly tell our kids, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute, just not right now, instead of just saying what's so, which is I don't actually intend to do that. Why is it that we tell our spouse one thing, but it's not really the whole truth, it's sort of a half truth, because if we were completely honest, they wouldn't like it. Why is it that we disappoint our friends and, and whenever they ask us why, we have to come up with some elaborate story instead of saying, I just didn't do it because I didn't want to do it. Why is it that we make stories up? Why is it that we mislead people and we lie to people and we exaggerate? We manipulate facts. Certainly there are a lot of reasons. Maybe fear is one of them. Like we don't, we don't want to be uh, disliked if we were completely honest. Maybe it's people-pleasing. We really want people to like us. Maybe it's pride. I can't possibly look like I don't have it all together. Maybe it's just laziness. All of those things may be true, but at the deepest root of why we lie and why we don't live lives of integrity, the deepest core is that we don't understand the gospel. You see, until you understand that you have a father in heaven who loves you regardless of what you do or don't do, whose love is not dependent on what you produce, how big of a crowd follows you, or, or how much you can make people excited, who doesn't really love you based on any other factor than the fact that he is love. Until you understand that, you'll do whatever it takes to appear better than you are. You'll twist facts. You'll exaggerate the truth. You'll leave out the things that are embarrassing. You'll tell people what they want to hear until you understand completely that it was when you were at your most unlovely that that precise moment is when Jesus died for you. It wasn't when you were worth it. It was when you were at the most ugly self that Jesus said, I'll take that one and I'll die for that one. Until you understand that, you'll never be free to be completely honest until you understand that the God of the universe died the death of a liar so that you could live the life of the kingdom. Until you understand that, you'll never be able to live a life of integrity. You'll always be trying to earn something. You'll always be trying to puff yourself up. You'll always be trying to look better than you are. Only when you understand the love of your true Father in heaven, the, the, it's the really is the only love that satisfies. Are you able to be honest when it's going to cost you relationships? Only when you understand that the resurrection of Christ guarantees your resurrection that you can die a thousand deaths as people hate you and despise you for what you say. Until you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll always be trapped in the fear that drives you to lie 
and cover up. Always. You see, it's only because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're able to live a life of integrity. That's it. You can't muster this up because you'll always have a place where you try to change the facts in order to make yourself just a little bit better. You have to understand that none of us live up to it, and that's precisely why Jesus died for you. You can live a life of integrity, but it comes by surrendering your life of dishonesty and allowing Jesus to deal with it. That's the way forward. You want to change the world? You want to change the status of our nation? It's not by your vote. It's by laying down our dishonesty. That's how you change people. That's how you change the nation. That's how you change the culture. It's by saying, I refuse to live out of posturing. I'm going to surrender to Jesus so that I can live a life of integrity. That's how this works, friends. We surrender dishonesty and we live a life of complete integrity.